Hello, I'm Peter Van Dusen, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. On our program tonight, the election campaign officially kicks off Wednesday morning. Political commentators join me for a lengthy discussion on the timing, the leaders, the stakes, and the issues. Hello, I'm Peter Van Dusen, and our focus tonight is setting the scene for the official launch of the federal election campaign on Wednesday morning. The unofficial campaign has been underway, of course, for weeks, but the Prime Minister faced a deadline of this Sunday to make the call, and now he has. He will visit Rideau Hall at 10 a.m. Wednesday. Our special live coverage will begin at 9 a.m. Eastern Time right here on CPAC. The Prime Minister was giving no indication of the impending writ drop in Halifax today, where he met with first responders to get briefed on recovery efforts in the wake of Hurricane Dorian. Uh, so it's good to be in Halifax today. Uh, obviously, we've been watching uh, over carefully over the course of the uh, past few days, uh, both the impacts of Hurricane Dorian and uh, the recovery efforts uh, across Nova Scotia, indeed across uh, all the Atlantic areas. Uh, I was uh, obviously uh, following very closely uh, in regular contact with uh, officials. I reached out to uh, mayors, uh, including the mayor of the Les Îles de la Madeleine, uh, a number of premiers as well. Um, I'm here today to thank uh, thank the uh, first responders and all the people who've been working very very hard on uh, something that has been uh, uh, an ongoing effort over the past few days. I know that uh, crews have been working around the clock uh, to restore power throughout Nova Scotia, and there's lots more work to do. And the federal government is here to uh, to support in any way we can. Well, while the prime minister was in Halifax, liberals across the country were being told to be prepared to hit the campaign trail. Wednesday for the launch of the campaign and we can expect the voters to start paying more attention to the parties and their promises and making sure the candidates know what issues matter to them. We've been asking too. Here's a sample of what Canadians are saying. Uh, election issues for me that's most important is environment. Pure and simple. Everything falls behind that because there's no economy, there's no there's no other issues without environment. Well, I think cost of living is is not reasonable in the city, and um, I know in this city for sure. Um, I see that all over. I work in social services, so um, that's like one of the biggest issues that we see is um, is homelessness and people in crisis because of the cost of living. I guess being for me a new immigrant, um, I guess issues around immigration um, are big for me. Also, I am a uh, new dad, so issues with family and um, things like daycare and, you know, the betterment of my child. For myself, climate change, um, I think it's uh, undecidedly the, the number one issue among uh, a lot of Canadians. And I want to be able to, you know, live in a country where hopefully my kids grow up and they have clean air. I think the most important issue right now is um, student issues, so things like tuition fees. Um, students can no longer afford to be paying exorbitant amounts of um, tuition fees, and students don't have money to pay off the debt that um, tuition fees is basically like making us like in-depth at too. I hear a lot of people saying that they had friends in high school that decided not to go to university and decided to get uh, get like just a regular old minimum wage paying job because they didn't want to take on the debt that university uh, carries. Must be immigration. 
straight and fair policy for all? I think uh, the gap between uh, rich and poor is uh, becoming so big. Definitely healthcare right now and also uh, research and science is also a big priority to me. Recently Canada has made a big push to support the funding agencies that we have right now but I think that effort needs to be uh, continue to really make Canada a leader in science. Electoral reform is probably the top of it. I'm not a big fan of the first-past-the-post system and uh, I would say that that's probably one of the shortcomings of the current government that probably got me the most. Um, the environment um, and transitioning our economy into a more green one in order to stay competitive in the international marketplace. Well I think at the top of my list right now would be climate change and how the government is going to address that. Immigration and the numbers of immigration and where we see immigrants be going um, in the, around the country. The problem right now where we have declared that housing is a human right and I don't think we're doing enough to address it. I think that our opioid crisis is directly linked to that. Housing is one of the most key indicators of overall health. So on the eve of the writ drop, let's bring in our panel of political commentators to help set the scene for the kind of campaign we might see and uh, what kind of an outcome we might see. Susan Smith is a liberal commentator, Tim Powers is a conservative commentator, and Anne McGrath is an NDP commentator. It's good to see you all. Nice to see you. Let's start Thank a little you. bit with the, with the timing. So we now know it's tomorrow, uh, Wednesday, September 11th, uh, and September 11th for some people, obviously, uh, the, the attacks on the World Trade Center uh, in New York. Um, should people have an issue with September 11th? Well, uh, I think people remember September 11th. I think people note September 11th. Uh, it was 18 years ago, and there may be a few people that aren't, don't really think that that's a good time to do something, but uh, the Prime Minister is choosing a date, getting the campaign going. Minister or Mr. Scheer is launching his campaign tomorrow on mm -hmm. September 11th as well, uh, whether he said whether there was a, right, a, a writ drop, drop or not. Or not. So it's, they're ready to go. I think the teams are ready to go and, and they'll go forward. If people are upset, they'll, they'll acknowledge it. I'm sure they'll acknowledge it and then they'll just they'll move on. I mean, we know there's an election coming. Everybody's chomping at the bit to get it started and I think that's what they're going to do. Tim, what do you think? Yeah, I have a bit more of an issue with it. Again, we have a, where I come from, a close connection with September 11th because Newfoundland and Labrador and all of Atlantic Canada, for, for that matter, harbored so many people who were stranded on that day. And it's still, Susan's right, I mean, it's 18 years ago is not that long ago. It's a very solemn day for our neighbors. It's a very solemn day for many of the families that sent uh, veterans to uh, to Afghanistan. Uh, it, it, it's it's strange timing. Susan's probably right. It there will be some like me who are a little put off by it, but people will get past it. I'm sure the argument that will be made is, look, you know, a lot of what happened after September 11th was about preserving democracy. This is a democratic exercise. Everybody right, will but if, if there, but if there's some, to Susan's point, if there's some notion of political crassness here. Uh, you, you say, well. And, and which one of the opponents is going to raise it since, you know, Mr. Shear was planning. Yeah, no, Mr. He, uh, he said he was launching the campaign Wednesday afternoon regardless. Well, uh, not like maybe the NDP will, but they had an interesting history, as Anne well knows, with the Afghanistan conflict. I don't know. I think it will be others who will raise it, uh, who will say, hey, could you not wait another day? There was no rush. You had to call it one day this week. Why does it have to be on this day? What do you think, Anne? So in modern-day campaigns, they almost always start before the writ anyway. Like most yeah. campaigns 
campaigns have already started. Right. Uh, happened last time, happened the, the, the campaign starts before the writ, and we even talk about it actually. We say, okay, the campaign is on, all, and all was well before the writ. So there's that. There's an argument against almost every single day this week. Uh, you know, it would have been Sunday bad was, to Sunday do it on was Sunday Dorian. because of Dorian. It would have been, you know, it, there's arguments the about tomorrow. Election. Today is the Manitoba election. Uh, Thursday is the first leaders debate, even though the prime minister is not participating in it. Um, you know, there's an argument against Friday every single Friday don't the 13th. That. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I personally don't know why they didn't just wait till Sunday, which is the last day that they could call it, and there's no kind of really obvious, uh, significant problems with Sunday. But you know, that that being said, I don't think that uh, I don't think you could have picked a day this week. So we're going to get a lot of the, now. We're if people haven't necessarily been paying full attention, they're now going to be bombarded with uh, it's an election campaign with all the promises and the pledges and the campaign platform. So they'll hear a lot about that. And I guess what I want to turn our conversation to now is, uh, notwithstanding all the promises that'll be out there, what are the, the challenges for each individual leader and your leader? So what, what's the challenge in this campaign for Justin Trudeau? Well, the challenge for Trudeau is to get reelected and to um, manage people through the expectations that came with people who thought you could get everything done in four years. I mean, we saw that with Barack Obama, right? There was huge expectations on uh, Prime Minister Trudeau when he came in. I think he's moved the the bar on a lot of things like reconciliation, like infrastructure, like the environment and the economy, moving things along. Our job situation is good. But there will be some people who are impatient that not everything got done, not everything got fixed in four years. The other, um, and, and he needs to continue to present himself as the best option and with the best vision for the country. Uh, so I think that's the biggest issue for him. For Mr. Shear, I don't know if you want me to talk about the other ones. Mr. Shear's <laughs> got to get people to recognize him beyond people, beyond when he's standing there with a big sign that says Mr. Shear, or Andrew Shear. Uh, and it's not, he's not Stephen Harper, he is Stephen Harper, he's not sure where he wants to be. Mr. Singh has an uphill battle to fight, and Mr. Uh, Ms. May has um, to be able to demonstrate that she could, she can run a national campaign with a national uh, credible alternative. All right, so we were, that's fine, you've jumped on all, uh, on all Sorry, the Sorry, I didn't no, know that, you want me to no, talk about all No, that's we're going to get to, but we'll, we'll get to it in one big fell swoop then. Tim, what about you? Challenge, start with, start with well, Andrew Shear. With Mr. Shear, I, I think, uh, Kenny sees the opportunity. I think most of us would have, have agreed uh, that going in, after the end of the last election didn't look like the first opportunity to, to defeat the Liberals would come in 2019. It's been a rough uh, year and a bit for the Prime Minister. His fortunes have changed. Polls show a tight race. Can Mr. Scheer seize that opportunity? Does Mr. Scheer know how to win? This is his first national campaign. It's a steep learning curve, as is for Mr. Singh. So can he seize that opportunity? Part of it is establishing himself free of the narratives that the opposition are trying to put on him about what who he actually is. So that's that's Scheer's, uh, Scheer's challenge and Scheer's opportunity. For the Prime Minister, um, does he get his mojo back? He didn't have it for a while. Uh, can has the bloom gone off the rose? Because there's probably a little bit more disdain or frustration with the prime minister out there than even the prime minister had expected. Can he make the election not about his record and not about the mistakes and about values that he seems to be comfortable talking about? For Mr. Singh, I think it is, can he, and I don't mean this sarcastically, he has exceedingly low expectations. Nan has been used to being involved in NDP campaigns mm -hmm. where they're written off. So can he seize the opportunity that everybody has 
uh, provided them that they're done to perform well, that perhaps changes their fortune. And for Miss May, she's the most experienced of every one right. of the campaigners. Longest serving federal Can she now. play a real game? We've already seen mistakes around the abortion issue and what green candidates are, are for or not for. Can they bring an organized effort and seize the apparent opportunity that polls tell us they have? And let well, me hear, let's start with Jagmeet Singh. All right, they've covered a lot of ground, these guys already. But yeah. uh, so, so for Jagmeet Singh, I think it is true that that the the biggest challenges that uh, he will face are number one, money is an issue in this campaign in a way that it hasn't been uh, so in the last few campaigns. That said, we have run cam good campaigns on less money. Mm -hmm. um, but I think the main one is that this is his first campaign as a federal leader. He is relatively unknown still, and so this is going to be his first impression on Canadians. So uh, I think that that's one of the big challenges, is getting out and meeting people. And uh, he does very well in, in those, in those uh, circumstances. So I think that, and, and, and I do think that uh, Tim is right, uh, we could benefit in some ways from the low expectations, because he's been written out of the picture a lot, which we are experienced with. So I think that there's something there. With for Andrew Shear, I think he has, um, uh, he, he doesn't come across as a very big personality. And so I think that the, the danger or, the, or the, the challenge for him is that uh, the, the, the faces that will be associated with his campaign will be very unpopular, perhaps unpopular leaders like Doug Ford in Ontario, Jason Kenney in, in Alberta. So I think that's going to be one of his big challenges, the fact that he's unknown, but that, that his, his personality isn't dominant enough, I think, to over, overshadow those two. And then I think obviously for, Mr. for Justin Trudeau, the, uh, the biggest issue is that progressive voters, which is what I think took him mm -hmm. over the top last time, are not feeling uh, furious with him, I wouldn't say. I would say that they're, it's almost worse. They're feeling disillusioned, disenchanted, um, disappointed. Okay, um, and so that put him over the top in the last uh, yeah. election. Is there a concern about losing progressive voters with a, a, and it's hard to know exactly, you know, the science of this is kind of different, exactly the notion that all New Democrat, people that don't want to vote New Democrat will go Greens necessarily. I mean, there's a real mix of where people might go, but uh, is there concern that he could lose some of that progressive vote because of, of unfulfilled promises such as electoral reform and for not, uh, some would suggest, going far enough on climate change? I think every party, every leader is smart to worry about every single one of their voter, potential mm -hmm. voters. And I think the uh, Liberal, what I'm hearing out of the Prime Minister, what I'm hearing out of the Liberal campaign and what we've seen from the Liberal government is an agenda, a credible agenda, they're trying to put forward a credible agenda that responds to the needs and concerns of progressive voters. So that is climate change where they're making progress. That is trade deals where they can stand up with Donald Trump. That is reconciliation and moving forward. And uh, with the, our relationship with Indigenous people. So he's, he's fighting really hard, and you're other seeing things on housing and, and dealing with issues of affordability. So the other progressive voters are the younger voters, what's in there for them, uh, and what's in there for seniors. And so the Liberal Party, I think, is going to work very hard to hold on to all of those voters. They won't keep all of them. Some of their votes were lent, but mm -hmm. I, don't, I think there's, a, um, there's one of the pollsters who talks about uh, promissive, no, pro, uh, promiscuous progressives. And some people haven't made up their minds yet, so the Liberals will be working hard to try and hold on to those votes. That's it, because it, it occurs to me each of the, the main parties has, has a challenge in keeping some of those traditional supporters. And in the, in the case of Conservatives, Tim, uh, they, they have a certain level of core support, and to yep. form government, they have to reach across 
and, and pull other people in. And, and then we have in the, you know, in the last couple of weeks, we have this notion around, you know, uh, which we've heard before, reopening the debate on abortion, uh, the, whether or not conservatives would protect uh, mm -hmm. same-sex rights. Uh, how much of that is, is Andrew Scheer going to face in the campaign? I think you'll get a little bit of that again in the beginning. Uh, I think the Liberals did deliberately test him. I mean, that's been a standard play that's been run for 20 years, dating back to Stockwell Day uh, being the leader of the alliance. Uh, so Mr. Shearer needs to be better prepared than he was a couple of weeks ago for all of this. I think the difference in, in this day and age is that there is a bit more of a requirement for a leader to express his personal perspective on issues where he's had a change. And, to be and is fair, that right? Mr. Scheer, I, I don't know is if that's that right? fair. I, mean, that's, I don't know if it's fair or not. Should but a person I think who wants to be the prime minister of the country have to say more than I support this because it's the law, as opposed to uh, saying full out whether, look, uh, it is the law and uh, it, I actually don't support it, but as prime minister, I'm never going to touch it. Uh, I don't know. How, how should that be handled? I think if you, as a leader, want to choose to land on supporting the law, you need to emphatically and um, courageously support that law. And I don't think Andrew Scheer did that on the abortion debate issue and the same-sex marriage thing. He waffled so badly around it that I think it calls into question his commitment to upholding that law or his commitment to allowing his MPs okay, to bring me, in changes, not so much for same-sex I just want Tim to finish that point yeah, a bit. because well, I, I, I don't think he waffled on the uh, Does the he lose some of those people in the middle when this issue it may cost, comes up? It may, it, may ask, it may have them asking some more questions, but I, I think it's important to get the record straight. He was crystal clear about what the party position was, what he would do as a government, what his government would do if he were elected. Mm -hmm. I think where the, the where, where he's being poked at is, well, how did you get to that view? I think if you look at the record, he's crystal clear on what the Conservatives would do, and that's nothing to do to reopen the, the abortion debate. It would stay as it is, as it should. All right. And, and, well, you were asking whether it's fair to ask, you know, a, a leader to kind of uh, talk about their own personal feelings and, and, and so forth. And I think that increasingly voters care about the pol not just the policies and the programs, mm -hmm. but they do care about the character and the judgment of the leaders. And I think that that's very important. I think they want to know what motivates their leaders, what values the leaders have, uh, and those kinds of things. And so there, I think it is uh, it is legitimate to say um, that that they wanted to know that, and he didn't he didn't do that. And uh, let's go back to you know which, which voter groups you need to uh, clear, clearly. There, if the, if the polls are correct, uh, there's clearly some bleeding away in NDP support. And, and so, who, who's leaving? Do you think? And and how do you get them back? I think there is a lot of fluidity on, on the progressive side in terms of voters right now. There's, that's very clear from all of the polling. And, and there, uh, there's, there's going to be an issue, I think, in this election also around turnout because there were mm -hmm. a lot of people who turned out last time really to vote against uh, Stephen Harper in a lot of ways and the best vehicle was uh, Justin Trudeau mm -hmm. uh, at, at that moment. So the question now is, for those ones who are disappointed and disillusioned uh, with Justin Trudeau, where will they go? Will they stay with him because he's the best shot against uh, against Andrew Scheer? I, I am positive the Liberals will run their standard campaign mm -hmm. where in the last week they will tell every progressive voter right. that they have to vote for them. Uh, I'm positive about that. Uh, they would be silly not to in many ways. Um, uh, and I think that for other voters who can't bring themselves to vote for, for Justin Trudeau, there is a little bit of fluidity. So I think what the NDP is going to have to do is uh, uh, just 
tell people that they don't know what they're getting if they're going if, if they want to vote green. Like you don't know where where they stand on things, what they're going to do, uh, those sorts of things. I mean, Elizabeth May really has been all over the place in the last couple of weeks on a number of issues. Um, so I, I think that that's going to that's going to be important. Um, what do you think about the, this this notion that in the uh, the, the Liberals will have to make that. I mean, that is one of the key threats to the, to the Liberals in this election, isn't it? That all those people, those extra hundreds of thousands of people who turned out to vote last time may in fact not vote Liberal this time. That's a big concern. I, I think think. that's an extreme scenario. That's like going to, from starting at A and going all the way to Z. I don't think that's the case. I think there, there were a lot of people that but got engaged in politics. But I guess what I'm saying, the, the Tories have a core of people who always show. Sure, and the, I think the, the Liberals have a core as well. But I think there were a lot of people who got engaged in the political process the last time who will stay engaged in the political process in the last time. And they liked what they saw from Trudeau's Liberals. Not everybody did. And, you know, no Prime Minister has ever been perfect. There's also another... Um, round of people coming in, first-time voters as well, mm -hmm. who saw what happened in the States with Donald Trump when you stayed home. And I think Canadians this election will be um, much more concerned about not exercising their vote and extra exercising their ballot because they ballot because they can see what can happen in other places if you don't, you don't want to by default end up with a sheer minority government because you stayed home or, or didn't cast your ballot yeah. the right way. But if not, if you're a progressive person, yeah, yeah, that, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, not yeah. going to work for you. So the Liberals are going to work hard to get everybody out, to everybody that would be inclined to support them out to vote. I think you're looking at women, and that's why you're seeing mm -hmm. um, the issues around abortion and mm -hmm. social policy Great. issues. And Elizabeth May stepped in it and tried to fix it yesterday. Mr. Scheer stepped in it and hasn't quite fixed it. The NDP are progressive in their position and the Liberals are progressive in their right, position. In some ways I, don't, other I don't think anyone would ever argue that there's any question that the NDP is a pro-choice party. No, no, I'm not yeah. saying that. Yeah. No, I said they're clear. No, no, I wouldn't. Yeah. I agree with you on that. I mean, and but in some ways, but, does, you know, did Elizabeth May provide a little bit of cover for Andrew Scheer by essentially saying yes. she can't, she can't tell her MPs what to do either if they want to bring but I think she helped uh, Although, although going on, in, in going on to say no one's ever done it and, and anybody who did yeah, gets vetted I, I think, out of the... I, I, I think she helped Justin Trudeau more than she helped Andrew Scheer with, uh, with all of that. But, you know, I, I think there's one other bigger cohort that uh, swims in many voting pools, and those are voters who are principally concerned about their individual economic circumstances. None of us mm -hmm. have said the word yet, but affordability as it is represented in the eyes of the different groups is going to be a huge issue during this campaign. I think you'll see, as you have already, Mr. Scheer, try to get into that Harper Affordability Coalition, which got into suburban moms in, in the 905 and families uh, in, in those regions who, although the economic, the traditional economic data is good, people aren't feeling like their circumstances are good. So I think Shear's going to be very laser targeted on all of that because you catch yeah. a lot of people uh, with that approach or have the ability. The NDP is doing that too. I mean, I guess the notion is when you, it's, it's, uh, everybody's going to have the affordability message. Sure. They have it already. Absolutely. Sure. You know, Absolutely. There, there isn't a there isn't a probably a political party in the world right yeah. now that isn't right. talking about yeah. affordability. I think the thing is whether you're talking about small steps or big steps yeah. on affordability. Uh, are you talking about affordability in the in, in the terms of the you know five cents on a liter of gas, or are you talking about affordability in terms of a healthcare system mm -hmm. where everybody has access? Are you talking about afford you know so uh, you know you can do the small small change kind of stuff or you can do things that will actually, I believe, have a bigger impact on people's lives. Let's finish on this. We're, we'll pay close attention to where the leaders go in the early days and where they go through the campaign. And uh, we expect it will be the 
three sort of big battlegrounds, Ontario, Quebec, and, and, and BC. Uh, Tim, let me start with you. Talk, talk to me about... I can't talk to you. You're just <laughs> say Atlantic Canada. <laughs> All right, go ahead. Well, go yes, well, I, I, that was you implied. You know, those 32 seats That, there, that okay. was implied. Atlantic Canada was always a big battleground. So, we're, I mean, we're, what will we see from the leaders? And which of those, is there one of those that's a bigger... Uh, you know, a bigger play than the others, and I, I think in my head, I'm thinking Ontario and yeah, those, well, those, essentially I, those seats around. We'll go a little further east first. I look, I, I think all three of our parties have different interests in Quebec. I think the Liberals believe they can take advantage of the so-called NDP struggles in Quebec. The when Anne was with Mr. Layton, certainly they built a base in Quebec. Does that hold? If it doesn't hold, who has the potential to benefit? We also hear about a rising block. One day in a dead block, the next day, I, you know, I hear conservative whispering about they're going to do better, though they've been whispering that since 2006. In Quebec, is that true? So, I, and, and that's in, you know, around the Quebec City area, Maxine Bernier's area. He's the guy the Conservatives really want to talk to, uh, take down, I think. But Quebec matters for sure, particularly for the Liberals, if they want to get a majority. Ontario, yeah, yeah, look, 110 seats yeah. there now, thereabouts. Um, that's, that's the big game. Um, can the Conservatives make inroads in areas where Stephen Harper made inroads, getting closer to the city of Toronto, that block of seats there again, which is the same as Atlantic Canada. And keep Peter. Doug Ford out of the campaign. Yeah, uh, but the thing with Doug Ford, you got to have an interesting yeah. relationship, right? Because he, he does have a base of support, right. and he does have a team that can mobilize. So you don't want to irritate You don't want to alienate here. those yeah. folks, but you, you, uh, they're, you talk to Conservative candidates, and they're getting some anger at the door over some of those Ontario policies but absolutely and he's a double-edged sword for sure for that big battlegrounds yeah, yeah. big yeah. battlegrounds I mean I think it's on, on well a couple of things number one I will say something about the Atlantic and that is the, 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 I, just for you Tim Good, uh, so the Liberals took all 32 seats right. last time there's no happen. way that's gonna happen again no. so we have to see where some of those seats will go I believe that uh, you know Jack Harris in yeah. St. John's East has a really good shot mm -hmm. at uh, re regaining his seat uh, there are some seats in Atlantic Canada that could go conservative this time I completely agree on the Quebec and, on, and Ontario thing. Quebec, the interesting thing in, in Quebec, though, is that there are the possibilities of some five-way splits mm -hmm. in some of the ridings. So it's really kind of a mugs game. But the NDP out. must be prepared for uh, more losses in Quebec. I think that the... Is it the, the, the Jack Layton orange wave in Quebec that you were such a part of, that's finished. I think that it's uh, definitely gone down, for sure, absolutely, and we're going to have a rebuilding job to do in Quebec uh, when this campaign is over. Uh, we must always, always, always have a presence and a, and a strong, strong stake in, in Quebec. In Ontario, Ontario is so big, it's like it's, you can't really talk about Ontario as one thing, it's regions, right? Yeah. So we've had a lot of strength in the past in northern Ontario, so there's there, southwestern Ontario, and then around the GTA, for sure, like, and, and, and we're hoping, I think, for some pickups in the 905 area. Uh, in the, in the prairies I think that things are relatively stable although there are a couple of possibilities there uh, there for us and BC where I have heard in almost every election campaign that I've been involved in that the Greens are going to eat our lunch and yeah. that they're going to take all of our seats um, uh, you know BC is really really important there's a strong NDP uh, tradition in in BC and um, you know we have a Very strong presence races. on the island and in the lower mainland in particular okay. Susan finish with you uh, <laughs> it's all been covered it, by well, my yeah, fellow yeah, analysts I mean there's all those baskets to see though right? Sure, sort of that's, in the GTA that's right. Either. And I could start west maybe and go east. I think BC is going to be very interesting. I think you'll see some three-way splits with between uh, Liberals, NDP, and Greens in some cases where there have been NDP incumbents in the past. I think the Liberals are going to have a tough fight in BC because pipeline politics is polarizing in some cases, but they've got some really solid candidates and some solid incumbents 
there. Um, jumping all the way over to Ontario because the prairies aren't typically all that friendly, liberal friendly territory. We've known that historically right. for, for decades. Uh, Ontario will be a real battleground. There are a lot of seats. You're going to see the leaders there a mm -hmm. lot. Uh, and Anne's right, it is regional. And so you'll see, you know, concentrations of activity, southwestern Ontario and around the GTA for sure. And Quebec definitely is a place I think that the Liberals hope to pick up seats. Um, there will be some split races for sure, but I think the NDP's, the, at, at the moment, the NDP's numbers are such that they aren't a factor in many of these ridings. So the opportunity is there for the Liberals to pick up the seats. Atlantic Canada, yeah, a 32 for 32 sweep would be tough to replicate. I think that's a reasonable, uh, a reasonable response. Uh, but I think it, I mean, maybe with the exception of Jack Harris's seat with the NDP in the mix, we know they're not in the mix in New Brunswick yet, um, but uh, Liberals and Conservatives will go toe-to-toe -to -toe in a few ridings uh, in Atlantic Canada, Nova Scotia in New particular, where we sure. don't have some of our incumbents aren't running again. So it's going to be very, very interesting. And it's all set to begin. Thank you all for your time, and we'll talk again. Thank you. Thank you. That's all for this edition of Primetime Politics on CPAC, the Cable Public Affairs Channel. And a reminder that our special coverage of the official launch of the 2019 election campaign begins tomorrow at 9 a.m. Eastern Time as the Prime Minister heads to Rideau Hall to formally ask the Governor-General to call the election for the vote on October 21st. That's all for now. I'm Peter Van Dusen. Thanks for watching.